Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. I'm your host. And uh, for those of you who may have just discovered us, thank you for taking the time to listen. We hope that you enjoy what you hear and some thought-provoking occurs. That's all to the better. So let me give you the elevator pitch as to what this uh, podcast is about if you are new to WJMS Media and if you are new to this podcast in particular. Uh, This podcast covers the political system. And what do I mean by that? I mean, I talk about what is going on with our mechanisms of government here in the United States, both at the federal, the state, and the local level. Uh, We don't necessarily cover the people in politics unless they are central to the the story that we're presenting, but I really want to give you a sense of what's going on with our government, how it impacts you, the voters, the taxpayers, the rank-and-file citizens of the United States. So what you'll hear is uh, stories about what's going on in our political system. So once again, thank you for uh, taking the time to download and listen to the podcast. Uh, Please uh, make sure that you uh, mark it, subscribe to it, and uh, stay in touch with what we've got going on. We're here each week giving you the breakdown of how our government does or does not work. So with that being said, Let's get right into the show. As always, we start off with a rundown of where we are with the COVID pandemic. And uh, if you've been following the news regarding COVID, you'll know that the new variant that is out there, uh, it is uh, named XBB.1.5. It is proving to be one of the most infectious uh, variants of the COVID disease Although, sort of to the positive, it is also one of the least uh, impactful from the standpoint of the symptoms that it causes, the amount of hospitalization, and the number of deaths that are related to this particular variant. Uh, As always, because COVID is still out there, we need to make sure that we are doing all that we can to protect ourselves Uh, in some areas of the country. Uh, mandates have been returned in, as far as mask wearing in certain gatherings, uh, large crowds, uh, close quarters, etc. And of course, you want to make sure that your vaccinations and boosters are up to date. So with that being said, uh, let's give you the numbers. Right now, the COVID uh, epidemic here in this country, there are Uh, a reported 101.7 million cases that have been reported. And uh, keep in mind that that's just the ones that have been reported up the stream to the CDC. Uh, There are probably a lot more because more people are home testing uh, as uh, we speak. And uh, those results may not necessarily be getting reported up the chain. Uh, 1.1 million people have died from COVID since the outset of the uh, pandemic uh, going on three years now. Uh, And 662 million people have been vaccinated, either, you know, one dose or multiple doses. So that number continues to grow. In fact, it grew by almost 1.1 million people since we reported it last week. Uh, And uh, that's a positive step. So If you haven't gotten your vaccines, if you haven't gotten the latest booster, please go get that done. Uh, It is out there to protect you and to protect those around you. So uh, word to the wise on that. All right, let's get into the stories we want to talk about um, in this episode. As you know, if you've been following the news from whichever source you follow it from, You know that we now have the 118th Congress and the House of Representatives uh, has been seated and is getting down to business. And we're going to talk about the 118th Congress uh, and what's going on uh, with the Republicans and what we're seeing from the Democrats in response. Uh, But uh, we'll we'll start it off. And uh, for those of you who 
um, pay attention to the political environment. You know that we just completed uh, the runoff election in Georgia with uh, Senator uh, Warnock defeating Republican candidate Herschel Walker. And I bring that up because it feeds into one of the news items that has been getting a lot of coverage uh, with regard to Congress uh, this week and in the past few weeks, and that is the uh, Democratic congressman from New York, uh, George Santos. And if you remember or if you've heard, uh, one of the controversies surrounding Congressman Santos is that uh, when he was campaigning for the office, uh, he, um, I guess the, the polite word would be to say he embellished his uh, credentials and you know, his resume and experience. And uh, that has uh, been a series of uh, concerns with a lot of people, uh, both Democrats and Republicans, most recently, the New York Republican Committee has uh, come out publicly stating that uh, Representative Santos needs to resign uh, because he basically deceived the voters of New York with what his experience and credentials were when he ran for office. Now, I won't go through the list of the things that he is reported to have lied about. You, If you... Uh, use search engine of your choice and, and search out you know, George Santos, you'll get the, the current list from his CV on what he stated and what uh, fact finders and truth checkers have found to be the actual case. But uh, to su suffice, suffice rather to say, and in sum, uh, he and, you know, expounded on his college experience, uh, including uh, attendance of colleges that he did not attend, and his business experience, and so on and so forth. And that has not died down uh, in the, you know, several weeks, both preceding the seating of the 118th Congress and since. Uh, in the latest uh, news swirling around uh, Congressman Santos, um, there's an article in Reuters that came out on the 15th of January, and it talks about uh, how uh, the, the leadoff is uh, that he lied about much of his resume and life story, and there's a call that he will be removed from Congress if he is found to have broken campaign finance laws. And this comes from uh, Republican House Oversight Committee Chairman James Cormer. Uh, who reported on, on Sunday, uh, the 15th. Uh, Cormer's quoted as saying, he's a bad guy uh, to CNN. Uh, it's not up to me or any other member of Congress to determine whether he can be kicked out for lying. Now, if he broke campaign finance laws, then he will be removed from Congress. Congress. Uh, now, in response to all of these, uh, Congressman Santos has repeatedly refused to resign, uh, even though the pressure on him to do so is mounting, you know, from the Republican Party, both uh, the New York and many of his colleagues in the House. On Thursday, uh, which would be last Thursday, uh, he was quoted as saying he would vacate his New York City area seat only if he loses the next election. So, you know, this, this ongoing uh, scandal revolving around Congressman Santos continues to uh, cast a shadow over the new Republican-led Congress and, you know, is, is something that the media has been uh, swirling around uh, continuously since his election and since uh, his swearing in as a member of Congress. Uh, one of the things that uh, has been quoted, uh, and this comes from a Democratic representative, Dan Goldman, said, it's one thing for a candidate such as Mr. Santos to induce voters to support him based on a web of lies, uh, but it is another something else if the top levels of Republican leadership 
knew about Mr. Santos's lies during the campaign and chose to be complicit. So this is something that has uh, laid up uh, around the feet of the new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, and he has, uh, for the most part, uh, decided to take a wait and see on what the results that come out of the campaign finance committee uh, before recommending uh, Congressman Santos to the ethics committee and taking any further actions uh, in that regard. So we will keep track of this. We will keep you posted and let you know what is transpiring with the controversial status of Congressman George Santos. Now, uh, if you recall, back uh, last year in Kansas, uh, Kansas Republicans had, uh, in, in, in their elections, had put out a uh, proposed legislation to ban uh, abortions and abortion services in the state of Kansas. And the, you know, they had virtually, and this is according to the daily costs, they had virtually guaranteed that they would end abortion in Kansas with a constitutional ballot initiative that would out that was outright destroyed uh, by nearly 60 percent of the voters voting no back in August. Now, the same Republicans have an incredible idea, double down on policies that have been rejected by Kansas voters and have cemented a Kansas Democratic congresswoman and governor. What do they call it? Why, it's called the Better Way Agenda. What does it offer? And this, again, according to the Daily Cost, it offers plenty of hate, but not a lot of substance, economics, or reason. So what's the underlying backstory in, in Kansas and what's been going on there? Well, to boil it down into a nutshell, uh, Republicans had believed, uh, and, and what turned out to be very incorrectly believed, that they had a lock on enacting that uh, constitutional uh, amendment in their state uh, to ban uh, abortion and, and support for abortion. And you know they actually had vowed that they were going to get this done. They also vowed to stop open voting that, according to them, allows Biden to hijack elections, despite the fact that the Republican Secretary of State, Scott Schwab, has contended that Kansas elections are fair, well-run, and devoid of any fraud. Sounds like something we've heard before in other areas. And, you know, now that uh, Governor Kelly has put Kansas in a position where we have a budget surplus, Kansas Republicans are committed to using some of that money to fund anti-abortion pregnancy centers, in quotes, with taxpayer funds doubling down on all of the issues that failed at the ballot box only a few months before seems to be how Kansas Republicans feel they can win in 2024. It's a bold strategy, but uh, many are wondering if there is a sly, well-thought-out well plan behind all of that. Uh, we will wait and see as to what transpires. Um, so some other points in um, the, the news coming out of Kansas is uh, their, their, they being the Republican, agenda includes everything from new abortion restrictions to anti-LGBTQ proposals that attack students and parents. This could go as far as seeking criminal statuses against those that help trans youth and break down rules that help gay parents adopt or foster children. Uh, Republicans, uh, again, according to the article, are even more ambitious and may consider legislation that goes after banks that do not invest in fossil fuels or guns, according to the Sunflower State Journal newspaper, as well as protecting the fossil fuel industry from organized boycotts. You know, and, and as the article says, just protecting the common folk. So, you know, it, it's clear that we are seeing the, the beginning of what the next uh, two years of battles are going to shape up as 
uh, around the country. And we are seeing, you know, uh, news reports about similar initiatives and similar uh, discussions being held in several states um, that have been at the forefront of the uh, MAGA movement, uh, the states that had put uh, election deniers uh, on the ballot as uh, governors and state senators and secretaries of state, which, by the way, they all of those individuals lost their elections. Uh, and so the, the battle lines, you know, not only are the battle lines drawn, we're starting to see the troops line up along these battle lines uh, and skirmishes start to break out with how this is going to play out over the course of the next uh, two years at the federal level and you know however long the state legislature's terms run in the various states. So it's clear that uh, it's going to be a messy next couple of years. There's no denying that. Uh, and as we look at later, later on in this podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we will see that the uh, U.S. House of Representatives under its new Republican leadership uh, is standing clearly in the forefront of these battles and is proposing uh, several things that will empower and encourage the states to take more uh, harsh uh, partisan energy against uh, things that you know the the popular consensus among the people uh, want to see put in place. Keep in mind that even in the the last Congress, the 117th, uh, there were several issues that were brought up for votes uh, in opposition uh, by the Republican then minority uh, that had widespread uh, public support across all sectors of the electorate. Some as many as much as 70 or 75 percent of the American people were in favor of you know several options that the uh, House and Senate uh, ignored and moved forward with their own agenda. Uh, we've talked about these uh, several times on this podcast in the past. Uh, you can go back chronologically and listen to the last, you know, three, four uh, episodes of Fired Up on whatever podcast source you're using, and you'll get the sense of, of what has been going on at the national level in the House and in the Senate. Uh, as well as what's going on in states such as Florida, Louisiana, uh, Georgia, and Texas, and so forth. So, you know, we've, we, at the start of the year, 2023, uh, we're picking up the drumbeat that we had happening in 2022, uh, with the notable exception that uh, the numbers on, you know, Republican and Democrat control of the legislative branch of the government has changed a little bit. We watched the sideshow uh, that occurred uh, you know, week before last in the election for Speaker of the House, which ran to a near record 15 ballots before Kevin McCarthy uh, could cobble together enough votes to secure his position as Speaker. And we're still finding out what the deals that were made and agreements that uh, were given in order to gain uh, the votes of his caucus. Uh, among these included placing uh, three members of the uh, Freedom Caucus onto the powerful uh, Rules Committee, uh, placing members on the Judiciary Ways and Means uh, budget and, and other committees that have a lot of power in terms of the legislative agenda and the legislative actions that happen. So, you know, there's still other things that, according to reporting, uh, McCarthy agreed to, but these have not yet come to light. But, you know, eventually it will, it will all come out. Now, we're going to talk about the uh, House rules that were voted on and passed by the Republican majority uh, later on in the show. 
and I will leave links to copies of the rules uh, and uh, a summary that was put together of the rules uh, in the uh, text of the Facebook page article. And our Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash fired up radio. That's all one word. And that will take you to our page, uh, give you the synopsis and table of contents of what we talk about on the podcast uh, each week. So uh, go there, bookmark that page so that you can see what is uh, coming out from Fired Up. And that is also going to be expanded, uh, as I've mentioned in prior uh, podcasts. Uh, we're looking at revamping some of the, the content on the Fired Up platform uh, including going to, uh, instead of just an audio format, going to a video format so that uh, we can bring you uh, more video uh, of what's going on, um, working on getting uh, access to set up uh, interviews and so forth. So keep posted, um, bookmark the pages so that you know when that's coming. All right, so getting back to uh, what's going on with the Republican Party. Uh, I do want to circle back and just point out, again, when we were talking about George Santos and got, got off on a sidetrack, um, the, the election of George Santos, uh, much like the campaign uh, down in Georgia of you know, Herschel Walker for the Senate, to, to fill that seat in his uh, uh, runoff against uh, Senator Warnock um, really kind of shine a light on you know, what the Republican strategy was in terms of the people they were willing to accept into their party uh, simply for the value they present uh, to the headcount. Uh, it's clear that the Republicans were hell-bent on getting Herschel Walker elected uh, to uh, help them gain control of the Senate. And, you know, also in the midterm uh, election run-up, the Republicans were touting the fact that they were anticipating a 25 or 30 seat majority in the House when the net result is they ended up with a five seat majority in the House falling way short of what their projections were. Um, many, many pundits are stating that this was actually a referendum on the, uh, the MAGA movement and the Stop the Steal and, you know, um, all of the election deniers uh, and, and people who uh, follow up under former President Trump and so forth. Uh, but at the end of the day, the result is the American people uh, went in, thought clearly about uh, what was important to them, and voted accordingly. So that was some encouragement um, that I saw in the uh, midterms of 2022, and hopefully that trend will continue. Now, I'm not saying that Democrats have all the answers, because they don't. Uh, and I'm not saying that Republicans have all the answers, because they don't either. But what I am saying is it's encouraging when you see the American electorate going into the ballot booth or up to the ballot, the ballot terminal or however they are voting, showing that they are considering what is important to them and what is important to the country and voting accordingly. Uh, we saw, for example, in the Kansas vote that there was a very high number of what are called split ticket votes where people vote for one candidate in, in one category and then vote for other candidates uh, of other parties for other uh, categories. So you might have people who voted for Republican um, representatives in the House but voted for a Democratic governor uh, or vice versa. And that shows that the American voters... Uh, were executing some sophisticated thinking in terms of how they wanted their vote to play out. And again, that is something that is an encouraging sign, and we hope that it will continue. 
Now, we, we here at Fired Up, we talk about that all the time, that you need to look at and examine the candidates for offices uh, and you know, vote for the people that best reflect how you feel about the issues of the day. And they may be Democrat, or they may be Republican, or they may be independent, or, or you know, some other political group. But the, the best approach is to vote for those individuals who best match your way of thinking and you know, encourage and support them uh, to get them elected and to follow up with them and support them if they are elected to office. As we always say, in, in terms of communicating with them, through phone, text, email, uh, you know, voicemail messages, you know, all of the above, physical uh, visits to their offices when they're in town um, and and holding their uh, meetings with the public. So what I think we are maybe seeing, and the key word there is maybe, uh, is that what the American voters have witnessed over the last uh, six years, both Democratic and Republican, uh, have awakened the sleeping giant to the fact that we need to be more engaged with our political leadership uh, at all levels, not less engaged. So that, as I said, I find very encouraging. We are going to keep looking and examining that on this series uh, as we go forward through the year and you know as we work our way up to the general election in 2024 so keep it locked here with fired up uh keep it locked on wjms media and we will bring you all of the uh, news and information regarding the political situations here in the united states all right so let's take a quick break here we'll be right back after this message Uh, Again, you're listening to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve. We'll be back shortly. Don't go away. We're often influenced by what we see and hear online. Researchers say Black communities have been specifically targeted online by bad actors that post false information about cultural issues, attempting to increase divisions in Black communities, influence how we vote, and influence public opinions. Here's how to stop the spread of cultural disinformation. Get information from reliable sources like experts, researchers, or organizations. Make sure you're not misled by information or quotes shared out of context. Check the account. Was it recently created or has zero followers? It may be a troll bot. If a story seems suspicious, don't share it with your followers. Together, we can stay informed and empowered. This public service announcement is from the National Black Cultural Information Trust. Learn more at NBCIT.org. And we're back. And we're back. Thanks again for selecting the Fired Up podcast uh, to listen to. We do appreciate it. If you have thoughts and comments on what we talk about here, uh, you can always send an email to the show at firedupradio at yahoo.com. Please let me know what you think. Give me your pros and your cons. Give me your ideas of things you want to talk about, and I will bring them onto the platform. All right. Um, it should be noted, and you've probably heard it, that the um, late poet Maya Angelou, who was, uh, among other honors, the uh, poet laureate during uh, the first term of uh, President Obama, and is uh, slated to appear on uh, American currency. Uh, In fact, I believe the quarters bearing her image have been released into circulation by the Mint. Um, One of her most uh, famous quotes, and one of the ones that's most often quoted by her, is the following. If people show you who they are, believe them the first time and I think that quote is something that should keep in mind as we uh, watch and participate and critique the 118th Congress uh, going forward for the next two years Uh, the Republicans in anticipation of their taking over the house 
and the Senate as they thought they would, sorry that didn't work out, um, often talked about the things that they wanted to do. Well, now that they are in charge of the House, they are beginning to put the efforts in motion uh, to do that. One of the most talked about elements of the rules that the Republicans have put in place, and we're going to go through and summarize uh, those rules uh, in a minute, but I wanted to bring out uh, this one in particular to start us off uh, because it has the potential to completely backfire uh, on Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House uh, and it, it's, it's this one. Uh, one of the rules and, and changes to the rules that the Republicans made for the 118th Congress uh, over what was in place uh, during the 117th and in prior uh, sessions of the House was that uh, the, the rule that one member of the House could call for what is known as vacating the seat. And that's a fancy term to say could call for the ouster of the Speaker of the House. Uh, that was one of the concessions that Kevin McCarthy had to make in order to garner the votes he needed to become Speaker. And arguably, and there's been much discussion about this, uh, drastically weakens uh, his position as Speaker since it could be that one member of the House uh, if they find something that he is proposing or, you know, something that he has done, a bill he has held up or laid on the table or any of these things uh, could call for his ouster. Uh, and essentially, uh, as we saw, you know, uh, what, three weeks ago now, uh, throw the House into uh, turmoil again. Uh, and this rule uh, has come into light and has been in the spotlight. Um, one of the things that uh, of late is the latest, um, you know, issue revolving around this rule uh, was brought up and was talked about in a Newsweek article uh, by Tom Norton and it's titled Fact Check, Can House Democrats Bring Motion to Vacate House Speaker? Now, the article you know, talks about the, the battle that McCarthy went through uh, to obtain the speaker's gavel um, and the fact that you know, rather than as you know, a hundred years of history uh, showed that you know, speakers were elected on the first vote, McCarthy had to go through 15 votes over four days uh, before he could claim a majority and uh, take over as Speaker of the House. Uh, one of the things that has transpired since is several members, uh, most notably uh, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, Republican of Georgia, she opposed the compromise to allow one House member to bring a motion to vacate to remove the Speaker because, and, and as she said, even one Democrat can do it and that she heard that Democratic Representative Al Green is getting ready to do it already. Uh, now, the, the facts of it, according to the article in Newsweek, uh, and you know, confirms that it is true that under these changes for the 118th, uh, it will only take one member to motion for the Speaker to vacate their seat. Um, this this uh, process, this uh, measure to vacate the seat dates all the way back to rules set out in Thomas Jefferson's manual, a parliamentary procedure written by the founding father and former U.S. President Thomas Jefferson, uh, stating that, quote, a speaker may be removed at the will of the House. Uh, that translates to mean a, a majority vote. Now, Matt Jefferson's manual didn't stipulate the number of members required to bring a motion, and it remained the case until 2018, uh, until Representative Nancy Pelosi, you know that name, lifted the threshold requiring that a resolution causing a vacancy in the office of Speaker will be privileged 
if offered by the direction of a majority party caucus or conference. Uh, that's a, a fancy legislative ease way of saying multiple members have to bring the motion. Uh, and I believe the number that they were citing was that it had to be at least five. Uh, you know, while this motion has been rarely used, it's been on the books for, you know, ever, basically since the formation of the House of Representatives at the founding. And, you know, it is something that uh, was brought back up by the Freedom Caucus and other uh, extreme right wing conservatives uh, as a method of, you know, putting a check on the speakership of Kevin McCarthy, who, you know, was not, uh, you know, a, a shoe-in candidate for speaker, as evidenced by the number of uh, ballots that he had to go through. Um, so it, it is just the, the idea that, as the report says, if just five Republicans in the House join together with a united Democratic caucus, the speaker will be ousted and nothing can be done until a new speaker is elected. Now, when you put that in the context of the fact that there were 20 Republicans who were uh, working to deny McCarthy the seat, uh, once the, the Republicans start to do uh, to legislate, and they have started, uh, and more importantly, once certain members start competing for media attention, this possibly will become very interesting to watch. Now, it should be noted that McCarthy can't change the rules now that, hey, now that they've been passed, so this is something he will have to live with for the next two years. Um, you know, and the article goes on uh, to state and, and raise the question how long it might take for such an alliance to form is, you know, an open question. Uh, for now, McCarthy appears to be meeting some of the wishes of the Freedom Caucus. Um, Representative Matt Gates says that he had nearly run out of stuff to ask for from the speaker during the negotiations. Um, you know, whether or not this means McCarthy will face less pressure or more pressure from his caucus remains to be seen and is entirely based on what uh, legislation the speaker brings forward, what he uh, pulls from the floor and won't allow to come to a vote, and the sense of the Republican caucus as to how they feel about that. Now, it's important to keep in mind this one fact as we talk about, you know, what the Republicans uh, want to do or want to accomplish, that anything that passes from the House, uh, whether it's, you know, Republican uh, uh, bill or a Democratic bill or a bipartisan bill uh, will need to go through the Senate, which is in the control uh, and which is in, you know, fairly solid control, uh, even with a razor-thin majority by Democrats. Um, and then, of course, it has to go on, if it gets through the Senate, it has to go on to the desk of the president for signature, and, you know, the president has the power of veto. So if you, you know, put all the pieces together, you've got a... Um, a fractured Republican caucus. Uh, you've got a significant block of Republican Cong uh, House members who, you know, essentially are not huge fans of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker, and a Democratic Senate and a Democratic President with the veto pen. Uh, the the upshot and the result is going to be, at minimum, a very tumultuous uh, uh, two years uh, in the legislative branch of government uh, if not a, a gridlocked legislative branch uh, as the Republicans uh, try to flex muscles. Uh, they, they don't really have a full set of, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. Now, in all of this, you know, we've been talking about the Republicans, Republicans this and Republicans that, and they want to do the other thing. 
what we haven't seen or heard a lot of yet is what the Democratic caucus uh, intends to do about it. Now, they are, of course, the minority party, which means they are not in control of the House. Uh, they do not, uh, by and large, control any committees. Uh, and in, in most cases, they don't even have majorities in committees. Uh, so, you know, what they can do is limited. However, uh, what minority party can do is essentially uh, break out that old filibuster tool and seek to influence the will of the House through refusal to cooperate with legislation. We saw the Republicans do this uh, in many occasions. We saw them do it even more so in the Senate, uh, where the, the margin was much thinner and the Democrats had to uh, holding air quotes here, rogue senators, um, Manchin and Cinema, who you know thwarted much of the president's agenda uh, for various political reasons. Um, so you know the upshot is the coming two years are going to be contentious. The Republicans have not indicated a strong desire for bipartisanship in what they are proposing and you know as, as we get ready to get into uh, what the rules are you will see how that potentially could play out but for for those political junkies out there and I count myself among that that crew it's going to be a very interesting two years to watch now let's um let's shift gears let's talk about the rules that the Republicans have put forward for how the uh, 118th Congress is going to operate. Now, as, as a way of, of a background or some information, the House rules are exactly that. They are the rules upon which the House of Representatives operates. Uh, they contain the procedures and, and policies that will be followed with various elements of what they need to do. So we start off, and, and by the way, as I said, I'm putting a link to the, the text of the House Rules document, which has been passed, uh, onto the Facebook page for the Fired Up show for this episode. So if you go to Fired Up, it will be uh, at the top of the page, um, and, and you'll see it there. With that being said, um, the rules of the House uh, each term, so each two-year term of the House of Representatives, a new set of rules is created. Now, they don't go out and just rewrite an entire rules document. Typically, what they will do is they will take the prior session's rules and amend them. So if you look at the, the rules for the 118th Congress, um, the first section provides that the rules of the 117th Congress are the rules of the 118th Congress, except for the amendments contained in Section 2 of the resolution and orders contained in the resolution. So they take what the, the prior Congress had and basically they edit it. Uh, so Section 2 starts off with uh, changes to the standing rules. Uh, and I, I will try and translate this into uh, everyday English from, you know, legislative ease uh, that it's written in. But essentially, the first one is initiatives to reduce spending and improve accountability. What they are going to do here is they are going to replace the current pay-as-you-go requirements uh, that the Congress uh, acted upon up until the end of the 117th session, they're going to replace those requirements with cut-as-you-go requirements. Now, the difference is that rather than, you know, uh, put forward a bill and, you know, move it to being a law and pay for it essentially uh, once it's passed and then they figure out how to pay for it, uh, what this cut-as-you-go uh, approach is going to uh, prohibit 
consideration of a bill, joint resolution, conference report, or amendment that has the net effect of increasing mandatory spending uh, within a five or 10 year budget window. If you recall, if you've listened to the news, when a, a bill is made, they talk about how much money it will cost uh, over five years or over 10 years uh, and how much money it will reduce the, the deficit or will cut spending over that same period. Um, the provision continues that practice of counting multiple measures uh, regarding a special order of business uh, and it, it directs the clerk to uh, submit the measures together after passage for purposes of compliance with the rule and provides a, uh, a mechanism for addressing emergency designations. Now, emergency designations are those things that, um, as they say, are an emergency need, such as disaster relief uh, after a major disaster or, or so on and so forth. Um, the, the keys in this section is that, you know, it basically is an intent to limit uh, what the Republicans perceive as the random and reckless spending that prior uh, sessions engaged in by requiring that cuts to other areas of the budget must be made to offset uh, the cost of a new uh, measure going forward. Uh, the next one is increased threshold for tax rate increases. And this uh, notably requires and changes uh, the requirement for what is called a supermajority vote on tax rate increases. And that basically means that rather than just a simple majority, which is, you know, 50% plus one, or even a super a a a, um, a veto-proof majority, which is you know sixty percent or whatever. This calls for a supermajority, which is three fifths uh, vote on you know tax increases. Another uh, provision in the new rules is something called two-minute votes. Uh, the the current process is that a member can stand up and talk for a an extended period of time uh, with regarding uh, a, a, a measure that follows an electronic vote. The subsection also states, and this is according to the rules, that to the maximum extent practicable, advance notice will be given when reduced, reduced voting times are expected in a voting series. So basically, instead of, you know, giving them five minutes or ten minutes to speak, the speaking time is going to be reduced to two minutes. Um, committee authorization and oversight plans. So one of the things that uh, had been eliminated was the requirement that each of the standing committees, uh, with the exception of appropriations, ethics, and rules, um, would have to provide a summary of uh, what they are looking to do. The plan, according to the rules, must include a list of unauthorized programs and agencies within the committee's jurisdiction that have received funding in the prior fiscal year or in the case of a permanent authorization have not received a comprehensive review by the committee in the prior three Congresses. And the committee they refer to is Appropriations uh, Committee, uh, Ethics and Rules. So what that means in plain English is if a program has just been rolling along, being funded session after session, year after year, that's going to stop and these programs will be reviewed if they are bringing forward, you know, some new type of uh, legislation or changing some of the existing legislation. Another section, cost estimates for major legislation to include uh, what they call macroeconomic effects. What that means is that they are going to look at the 
gross budgetary effect in any fiscal year covered by the resolution that is equal to or greater than 0.25% of projected GDP. Now, it's a fancy way of setting what a threshold is for any major legislation to be considered. Uh, there's one under ethics reform, and it directs that the Committee on Ethics to adopt rules which provide for a process to receive complaints directly from the public. Now, keep in mind that there's also a proposal uh, under discussion to uh, basically reduce the size of the uh, Ethics Committee. Um, and, and again, there are, are a bunch of them here, but for uh, sake of time, uh, they are going to create investigative subcommittees of the Committee on Ethics. Uh, they are going to address treatment of evidence in committee and subcommittee investigations. Uh, they are designating Committee on Oversight and Accountability, um, and that is uh, it redesignates the Oversight and Reform Committee as a Committee on Oversight and Accountability. That's a name change. Uh, committee on Education and the Workforce, also a name change from Education and Labor. Uh, subcommittees of Committees on Agriculture uh, to have six subcommittees codifying a separate order in effect since the 114th Congress. They are going to add cybersecurity to Department of Homeland Security. Uh, they are uh, looking at addressing the scope of authority to act in continuing litigation matters. Uh, basically, that's reviewing the subpoena process that committees have to record votes on measures reported by the Committee on Rules, uh, report requiring reporting uh, from the committee uh, to include a depiction of recorded votes. Basically, they want a printed list of how people uh, voted within the committee. Apparently, that's not something that is routinely done. Um, what they are saying is they are also going to uh, to uh, set some restrictions on who can have access to what is called the Hall of the House. Um, the strikes, if this one will strike language, providing governors of territories and the mayor of the District of Columbia access to the Hall of the House. So, for example, they do not want to represent uh, governors from like Guam, um, you know, perhaps uh, Puerto Rico, etc., roaming around the halls of the House. So they're, they're putting some restrictions in there. They are going to reinstate the Holman Rule. The Holman Rule allows amendments to appropriations legislation that would reduce the salary of or fire specific federal employees or cut specific programs. What this means, in a sense, is that if there is a, a committee or an office that the House doesn't like or, you know, the Republicans don't like, they can use the Holman rule to zero out that budget, basically to cut off the, the funding and the pay for that, uh, that office. Um, a resolution declaring the office of the Speaker vacant. We've already talked about this so that uh, one measure, uh, I'm sorry, one member, um, can call for the vacancy of the office of speaker um, and, you know, only needs to have four co-sponsors, uh, but not four people making the request. Um, so, I mean, there, there's, there's more, uh, a lot more. <laughs> the summary document is, you know, like 12 pages long. The rules document is, you know, 50, 50 plus pages long, um, you know, and, and there's a lot of things in here that really kind of signify where the Republican Party's head is at with regard to the House. Now, again, uh, these rules and the, the, the laws and practices that they are, are promoting um, still 
should it go, you know, be included in a bill that is passed, you know, by the House, it is still got to get through the Senate. And, you know, as we have seen um, in the past with, you know, various party uh, majorities in the House and Senate and so forth, that's always that's that's never always a guarantee uh, if the the parties are split in terms of the House and Senate. So, you know, it, it it's clear that um, there there are a lot of things that the Republicans are going to put their fingerprints on. Uh, we're going to talk more about these rules over the course of upcoming podcasts. And and especially as they become ones that we see enacted or we see in action uh, going forward. But as I said earlier, uh, one of the things that, you know, is, is clear is, you know, there is going to be a lot of controversy, controversy. It is going to be a tumultuous two year period. Uh, and it's not clear if um, they are going to get much done. Uh, so that means that we, the people, we have to step up. And, and as always, and we say that on this show all the time, uh, we need to be engaged. We need to be communicating with our elected officials um, in the House and in the Senate and at the White House uh, we need to be getting, you know, their attention and letting them know what we think. We need to be communicating with them in every way that we can. That includes phone calls, faxes, emails, text messages, uh, you know, meeting in person uh, and, you know, getting in their face to let them know what we expect them to do. Now, you know, it, it is not clear that you know, the the effect is going to be immediate, but if it is consistent, then we can expect to see a turnaround. All right. Now, one one other note before we close out, I want to give you some information on how you can keep track of what our elected officials are doing. And there are two websites that I want to name for you. The first one in relation to since we've been talking about the House is the House of Representatives website, which is www.house.gov, G-O-V. If you go to that page, you'll see across the top a, a series of links. One of them that I want you to pay attention to is the one that says Bills and Reports. That will give you a list of all of the current bills in the queue for action for the House of Representatives. For the Senate, it's www.senate.gov, and there is a similar link on their webpage that shows you all of the bills that have been presented for consideration uh, to that body. Now, keep in mind with the Senate that some, and if they are coming from the Republican House, probably many, are going to be what is called laid on the table which means essentially, it means like it sounds. They're going to put it on a table and pay no attention to it going forward. They are not going to act on it. So get used to those two websites, bookmark them, check back frequently, especially if you hear news about a particular bill. You can um, set up alerts for that bill so that you would get notified whenever any action on that bill is taken. Uh, that is a great way for you to stay engaged with what's going on with your representatives in Washington, D.C. Now, I'm not sure if the state legislatures have a similar uh, uh, approach or a similar resource across the board, but I do know that several states do. Uh, for example, my home state of Pennsylvania, uh, they have a link that shows current legislative agenda which is where you can keep track of state-level uh, bills that are, are being considered, are being debated. Uh, that's part of how we stay engaged with what our elected officials are doing. So, as, as always, you know, be informed. Get your information from multiple sources. Uh, remember that the truth 
doesn't necessarily lie in one source on one side or the other. It is often somewhere in the middle. So stay informed, stay engaged, uh, stay safe, get your vaccines, get your boosters. Uh, and thank you for joining me on this podcast journey as we now enter 2023. I have a feeling we need to strap in because it's going to be a bumpy ride. All right, everybody, we're going to end it on that note. This is Steve. Thank you once again for joining. Uh, please send your comments to fireupradio at yahoo.com. And I look forward to presenting more political information to you in seven days.